Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. Welcome from the Talks and Tasting Studio. Talks and Tasting Studio. This is Bullhagen. This is Berg. And this is Vicar. And Peter's here. Hey, Pete. And welcome to the Clerical Errors Podcast. The show that's designed to show you what's behind the collar. So we got a lot of fun stuff today. We got some, a couple of emails. We got something from our producer, our associate producer. Uh, we got a good question that we wanna, we'll wanna start off pretty soon, right off the top of the bat. We've got uh, some mysteries mm-hmm. today. So uh, and we have a western update. Yes, we have some Wyoming. Some coming Wyoming your way. Coming your way. So. Uh, we do not really have much of a drink today. I've got a water. This is mine, right, Picker? I brought that in, right? Yeah. And it uh, looks like uh, we have a battle of the dews here today. We had um, a Diet Mountain Dew and a regular Mountain Dew. I know. Dun, dun, dun. So, yeah. No, I uh, I actually took this from a friend's refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been sitting in my refrigerator for uh, a week. And so it's like, okay, I'm going to take this along. <laughs> so... When we're in the, we're recording in the morning for us in the in the late evening for Peter, so um, he's having something a little different than we are. So we can't have any fun drinks at the moment. But uh, <laughs> if you are having fun drinks and want to tell us about it, where can they reach us, Vicar? Uh, they could e- they can email us at feedback at clericalerrors.org. and uh, find us on Facebook facebook.com slash clericalerrorspodcast. And on Twitter at clerical errors p p for a podcast at me bro. So uh, if you're listening, uh, tell us what you're having. We'd love we'd love to know. So um, what are you preaching on? Well, what is the text coming up? Uh, we actually have a very special day uh, coming up. Uh, what in the Lutheran Church we call a feast day, a day when we celebrate uh, a particular saint. Uh, or um, we had one just uh, in at the end of September uh, called St. Michael and All Angels, where we um, celebrate and teach about uh, the angels that God sends to protect us. And uh, what uh, feast day are we celebrating, Vicar? Uh, this would be the commemoration of St. Luke the Evangelist. Okay. Tell us a little bit about who St. Luke is. Uh, he's most well-known as the author of the Gospel of Luke. Mm-hmm. He was a companion of St. Paul mm-hmm. as he traveled around and... He uh, professionally was a physician, and if I remember right, he's also a patron saint of painters. Okay. More than what I knew. Hmm. And he also wrote Acts, by the way. He did also write Acts, yes. yes. Kind of Luke part deux. Yeah. Indeed. Some of it's in first person, even, since he was there. Right. All right, so what is the gospel lesson for uh, the commemoration of St. Luke? Fittingly, it is from his gospel. So Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, 
eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. All right. So, Bullhagen, what sticks out to you about this text? Um, well, I would say the first thing that, that sticks out is it's an interesting sending out because this is before uh, the Great Commission and the Apostles go out. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we don't know. I mean, we have a response where the people, they come back amazed, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I don't really know that much about what happened, what happened to those people that they evangelized. Do you? It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of left blank. Right. And I don't think that this is necessarily, people might take this as a prescription, this is how you do evangelism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, one is, you know, I don't go in and heal the sick. Do you? I, I mean, I wish I could. <laughs> but the thing is, yeah, I mean, it can't be prescriptive because they're going ahead of our Lord, right? Mm-hmm. All of the towns that he is going to visit, that's where he sends them, and he sends them two by two. Mm-hmm. They don't have any money or a knapsack or a money bag. Um, and we don't even know, really, how many of those 72 that he sends out we're faithful by the time Jesus dies and rises, do we? Yeah, it's hard to know. Yeah. And and so it's just a really, really uh, interesting, interesting text. And so uh, I think when you're talking about Luke and you're talking about the sending out of, of the 72, ultimately it's going to wind up being of Christ and the word of God mm-hmm. and uh, preaching and uh, and speaking the word of God. Um I guess what this brings to mind is I listened to another podcast episode from The Art of Manliness, and it was about how uh, the internet is making us shallow. And uh, it it was a very interesting podcast that I think everyone should go and listen to. Um, What I think is even more interesting, though, is once you start reading guys like McCollin, who kind of came up with this in the 1960s, and then you look at how the written word uh, has actually affected uh, the church in general. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that we talk about it, uh, we always are encouraging people to read, read. their Bibles, right? Um, but what's interesting is, is that the Bible actually never commands an individual, you know, these... It's here. It's always hearing. It's always hearing. It's never reading. In fact, uh, Timothy is one of the few that's actually commanded to read the Bible, but for what? For the public. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been interesting that the medium actually does form the message. And the way that uh, McCallan and some of these others have talked about it is is that reading has become a very private and individual exercise, mm-hmm. especially since the invention of the printing press. Uh, and I think, too, this has probably caused a lot of issues on how people think about the church, proclamation, uh, because if reading has kind of formed us in this very individualistic way— then it's very easy to say, well, I'm just going to take my Bible and not actually be part of the communion of saints, which we've seen in this country, for example. I kind of mentioned this in a sermon uh, recently where I I talked about preaching, that uh, preaching is not happened by yourself. It takes two groups. It takes someone to preach the word, and it takes listeners to hear the word. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, I think the, the line I said was, uh, you know, a preacher who is preaching to no one either is crazy or he is a vicar getting ready for Sunday. Right. You know, and the fact that preaching also then has listeners, it means that the listener um, is forced to listen to something that maybe they had not considered, a word outside of themselves. Or a word opposed to them. Right. Where if you are just reading your Bible, it's very easy to put yourself as the authority over God's mm-hmm. word. Where if, if the Bible is preached, um, then it is actually confronting you as the living voice of Christ, something mm-hmm. that you actually have to deal with. Which is um, why it's also important for pastors to also hear preaching. <laughs> that's that's exactly right. Um, and so this is why Luther, too, he said, you know, the church is a... You know, here here's a guy who used the medium of his time, and in a much humbler way, we're using the medium of our time, podcasts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but here's the guy who I, used— I like to think that Luther were around today, he'd have a podcast, like Table Talks. Yeah. You know, which is already a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but Actually, it, I think he would appreciate this medium better than even the printing press, mm-hmm. uh, because he actually goes after the nobles and says, these wiseacres read a, read a book a couple times and they think they know everything. That's a great word, wiseacre. So we need to bring that word back. <laughs> Can you imagine Luther with a Twitter account? Oh my gosh. It'd be wow. amazing. How well, many times I, would he have been canceled by now? <laughs> <laughs> but but that's the main thing, right? Is that uh the church is not a penthouse. It is a it is a mouth house. It is a it is a house of the ear, it is a house of the voice, it is not a house of, of ink or mm-hmm. even Twitter accounts, because uh even the written word in that way is very different than how the church has actually heard God's word proclaimed. And that, that that's actually something that I've, I've instructed the vicars when they preach, that sometimes they'll say, they'll, they'll notice that if I ask them to handwrite their sermon, it sounds a lot different than if they type out their sermon mm-hmm. even. Or, you know, the, the beauty of writing a letter is different than an email. Right. It always, it comes across more personal if you're writing to someone a letter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, because everybody thinks that, uh, all the hyperlinks like in Wikipedia that, oh, well, if we have all this information linked together, it's actually going to help us, uh, learn more. But all of the studies that they've done have shown that the, when you have those hyperlinks like that, that you can click on, uh, comprehension actually goes way down. People think that they know more. Uh, so I, so I guess to the people out there, uh, listening to this podcast, uh, one thing that I would do is, um, for your devotions, read your Bible out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it is a voice that is actually confronting you. It's and, more and, of a... And learn the catechism out loud. Yes. I mean, this is one of the reasons why we memorize it. This is one of the reasons why uh, these things are kept with us all the time. So, How can they believe who have not heard? Heard. How can they hear unless one is sent? That brings us back to St. Luke Mm -hmm. and to the 72, to the 12 who are sent out into all the world, and then to the elders, and uh, and elders here in the Bible mean pastors. I find it interesting, too, um, the fact that uh, Vicar mentioned that Luke was a physician. Mm -hmm. I think that helps us understand a little bit uh, the miracles. I mean, this is a physician who's writing some of these miracles down. It also kind of gives you an, a look into the way in which uh, the Holy Spirit uses him to write Luke. 
mm-hmm. because he has a very uh, clinical mind. And the way in which he puts things down, he, he produces an orderly account with eyewitness testimony, mm-hmm. uh, just like uh, a doctor writing his, you know, uh, it's interesting how the Holy Spirit uses the gifts and the persuasions that we have in order to make his word known to us. But I imagine his handwriting as a physician must have been horrible. That's why he probably <laughs> dictated it. Yeah. <laughs> well, isn't that interesting, too, because the uh, the letters, like St. Paul, uh, he didn't, It very seldom does he write his own letters. Mm-hmm. It's only like at the end where he says, see in what, you know, in what large letters I write. He was dictating it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know. All right. So where do you want to go to next? Do you want to go to uh, Hannah or do you want to go? Let's go to Hannah's comment first. Then we'll, we'll get a, our update from the range. Yes. Sounds so, good. Uh, hello, clerics. I'm happy to report that I've been relatively incommunicado due only to the pleasant uh, pastimes of pregnancy. Third trimester nesting kicked in a few weeks ago, so I've been busy rearranging rooms, wading through closets, and generally testing the limits of my husband's generous allotment of patience. He likes it when things stay where they have been, are now, and forever ought to be. A good Luther man. I did send y'all an email last week asking Pastor Berg to recommend hymns for my labor, which we did record. Our timing is a little off because we've been recording a couple episodes in one day. Uh, for labor and delivery, assuming that he has more a more intimate understanding of these momentous events now, uh, maybe I'll sent I sent it too close to recording time. And I know you are concerned about my cookie supply. I was making do with an acquaintance because we were going to get our cookies, weren't we? We were. I mean, we still okay. are okay. at some point. Yeah. But once uh, once we actually I mean, can get these, you know. give it, we we did talk to you in person once, so we're working our way up. It's true. Uh, so, I was making do with an acquaintance birthday cookies, gluten-free cookies, and dream cookies, as in, I dreamt about the most delightful double chocolate mint cookies you could imagine. Then I got up the nerve to ask a neighborhood Facebook group if anyone wanted to bake cookies for a pregnant lady waking up hungry in the middle of the night. Lo and behold, more than one person did. How's that EOE going, Pastor Bullhagen? Anyone get exposed to the novel coronavirus? Yours in Christ, Hannah Jastrum Auberg. If any listener out there wants to send me cookies, just send a message to the Clerical Heiress Facebook, and I'll get my my mailing address. So, listeners who who really appreciate Hannah's hard work for the podcast, I think a good way to support the show would be to get cookies to our, our dear associate producer, Hannah. So, are, you, are you really trying to outsource us sending her cookies? <laughs> We're not it's lazy. It's not that hard. We're not lazy, are we? <laughs> um, was there another email too? Oh, yes. So, Berg, why don't you read this one then? All right. Hello, Pastor Berg. Thank you for your hymn suggestions. You named some of my favorites. Uh, the will of God is always best. We all believe in one true God, and some I had never sung before. I did some comparing and found that the Lutheran hymnal version of Rejoice My Heart, Be Glad, and Sing has a couple more uh, verses than the LSBs, including these gems. When silent woe thy bosom rends, his pity sees thy grief, supplies what to his glory lends, and to thine own relief. He knows how oft a Christian weeps and why his tears now fall, and in the book his mercy keeps, these things are noted all. 
Follow-up question for We All Believe in One True God. Do you sing the metrical or chant version? Your optimistic sister in Christ, Hannah. P.S. Pastor Bullhagen, nice tries. This is why I ask Pastor Bergs <laughs> specifically. I do appreciate the introduction to The Night Will Soon Be Ending, though. Oh. <laughs> no, the... Uh, she my knows wife... us too well. <laughs> the... Uh, the you know my wife and I actually do a lot of comparing and contrasting of hymns uh, because there are no hymnals perfect and uh, my wife grew up with TLH and uh, you know so we're just trying to mix and match hymns so Stephen is going to be completely screwed up at some point uh, with what we sing and don't sing but uh, no great catch on uh, on the Lutheran hymnal version of Rejoice My Heart Be Glad and Sing it's a beautiful hymn. Um, and when it comes to the the the, the uh, we all believe in one true God, I like the chant version. Yeah, but it's harder for people to sing. I think so. Actually, we started doing that at the Tuesday night services that I do, mm-hmm. uh, in pl- and sing it in place of the Apostles' Creed. And uh, there, the people who come on a regular basis know it pretty well. Uh, so because it was originally written in chant form. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was actually one of the most sung. Uh, Parts of the liturgy. Uh, there's this whole book called Worship Wars, mm-hmm. uh, which talks about uh, kind of the conflicts between the choir and the congregation in early Lutheranism. And uh, by looking at all the different um, what was going on in each parish, uh, you see that we we all believe in one true God is uh, basically at the top of the list for what was being sung. So, hmm. so they had arguments about whether they sung it with the praise band or ha. No, uh, this it, is it's an it's a fascinating thing because before the Reformation, um, the whole thesis of this book is that everybody thinks that congregational reading or singing really started with the Reformation, and the guy who wrote this book actually contends that it took a long, long time for congregational singing to actually become what it is today. Uh, most congregations actually still used a choir uh, to sing most parts of the liturgy. Uh, for a long time, uh, basically for about 100 years. Part of that was, um, right now, with in our music, uh, the the top line, the soprano line, is usually the the melody, right? Mm -hmm. Well, in the Reformation, it was the tenor line that was the melody, which made it extremely difficult to teach the melody to different people. So Kind of like a barbershop quartet. The lead is actually the second tenor. Mm Mm-hmm. The first tenor is more of a descant type thing, right? So, uh, so yeah, I we do the chant version because it's amazing, and uh, and my son really likes it. And he if, and if, smiles if it, every time. We and sing if you're it. gonna start with a, a little one, right? Yeah, want to start him with the right way. Exactly. And, and also, uh, the EOE is going okay. I'm still uh, gluten and dairy free, and I'm supposed to have. Uh, a camera shoved down my throat. Um, th- uh, Berg, if I'm getting a camera shoved down my throat, what hymn should I be singing while I... Uh, I would sing... <laughs> okay. Um, metric or chant? <laughs> I, I would say uh, polyphonic. <laughs> polyphonic, okay. Swing low, sweet chariot, something. <laughs> All right. Uh, and so, but it's going okay, and uh, or from depths of woe, I cry to thee, probably. <laughs> and I've had a few coronavirus scares, where I, you know, 
way back when I had been exposed and right. My son hadn't feel, felt good for a little while, but he tested negative. But I'm not sure because he had a temperature for like four days. You know. Yeah. Anyways, so but have you? I think the rest of us have been fine, right? Yeah, the rest of us. I have. I honestly don't. I haven't met anybody who's had the coronavirus. Actually, um, I don't actually know it's because they've all personally. been silent killers. Yeah, that's true. Quiet mass spreaders marauding around. Yep. The assassins of a new age. How many kids are going to dress up like the coronavirus this year, I wonder? They won't even be Not able to... Many. Yeah, they won't even have Halloween, I bet. Well, because that's what I would have done. All right. Oh, hear that music? It's what, wonderful. What does that music mean? It means that it's time for us to set our set our sights to Big Sky Country. Yes. You ready? Yep. Yep. Howdy, folks. Coming to you live from the Cowboy Campus of the Toxin Tasting Studio. This is Baldwin. Give me a look at... Stop. The- okay, Baldwin. I know I'm not your teacher anymore, okay? Um, you need a little soundproofing in your room, okay? Uh, I don't want to say, you know, I don't want the imagery of you recording this in your restroom, but I think that's what you might be doing. Um, a closet's a good place, you know, a little soundproofing, but, but you know, I, I'm, I'm happy that you're sending in, but uh, if you could do something about, uh, anyways, just Well, you know what it sounds like? He wasn't using, he wasn't using his uh, microphone. Mm-hmm. It sounds like he was using his laptop. Hmm. Hmm. All right, keep going. What's behind a newly minted collar? So I tried to follow in my my mentor's footsteps and uh, pick something a little healthier to drink this time. So my wife went to the store and I told her to get the healthiest looking thing she could find. So this is W-T-R-M-L-N-W-T-R. So that's that's watermelon water. It is a cold Stop. pressure. Stop. Gross. Why are you doing that to yourself? Shame on you, Baldwin. I got some jokes, but I'm self-editing. Um, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, well, watermelon, it, it filters all the bad stuff, and it, it puts it in the melon form. Oh, I hate watermelon, so I thought I, with all of my awesome drinks, I thought I had taught him better than that. Well, you know what, though? Imagine, like, if you're in the high deserts of Wyoming, just how luscious and beautiful a watermelon looks as opposed to, like, cactus pears. I, I don't Think know. Think of how much moisture it takes to, to fill out a watermelon and how beautiful that is when you're living in sand. Is it sand? It's not lush. I mean, the last time I went out to Wyoming, I mean, don't get me wrong, there was a lot of rain, so it was all nice and green and just beautiful, but... All right. Peter, play the tape. Juiced watermelon water blend. And it's got all kinds of good stuff here, like six times more potassium than your favorite sports drink. So we're going to give this a try and see if I just, you know, feel healthy. Like I Peter, can and bang. I think I know why he's recording this in the bathroom. <laughs> because he's just going to need it <laughs> fairly shortly. Uh. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Or something after this. Bottoms up. Oh. Well, I mean, it's it's what it says it is. That, that just is like someone just smashed a watermelon into nothing and then stuck it in bottles. Ugh. I don't think I'll be buying that again. All right, so 
I've got some more interesting trivia because again I know how much uh, my, my mentor enjoys useless knowledge coming from me. So you Pause. might think we're kind of back. Like I said earlier, that's a sign of a good supervisor to show interest in trivia. And yeah, go ahead. Backwards out here in Wyoming. But according to this trivia book that I have, the first city in the world to receive electric incandescent lighting was Cheyenne, the capital of Wyoming. It was uh, lit by electricity installed in 1882. Let's see, and it had battery powered lighting throughout the city. It was recharged by a steam driven dynamo or generator during daylight hours. So there you go. We're not so backwards out here. Pause. Uh, they're probably so, still in use. <laughs> well, there's only three lights they had to light up, so it was easier. Ha. Huh. Can we talk about the fact that uh, the, the raw recording of this is four minutes and ten seconds long, and we spent two minutes and five seconds talking about a drink and, uh, and lights. lights? Right. Real fantastic update. In fact, it's, it is interesting how Vicar and I just had this discussion. Um, about lights? Well, no. Um, <laughs> I do this to every vicar. In Baldwin, you're listening. You're going to laugh when you hear this. I say, yeah, your first two or three paragraphs of introduction, if we just cut those three paragraphs off, what are we really missing? <laughs> uh, ah! <laughs> vicar's shaking his head. <laughs> um, all right, continue. <laughs> One of the issues that you get to deal with as a new pastor is, is the topic of change, you know. Um, your ideas and the previous pastor's ideas, of course, aren't going to be exactly the same. You've had different experiences, different training, and not to say that, you know, it was bad or good necessarily, just, you know, differences. And sometimes, too, um, with a new pastor, members will see that as a, as a chance to maybe try to implement some change, and that can kind of get your nerves going. Uh, I had a lady approach me and said, well, you know, since you're new, can we maybe do some things a little differently? And I'm thinking, oh boy, I uh, wonder what she means by that. She went on and said, well, you know, we, we keep the, the baptismal font just tucked away here in the corner of the sanctuary when it's not in use, kind of over by the fans and stuff. And she said, that, that just doesn't seem right for how important it is. She said, why can't we move it to the center of the, uh, the center in front of the altar there? in front of the chancel steps because after all we're able to approach our our lord because of our baptism and i'm going oh yeah this is so wonderful and you know try not to jump through jump out of my shoes uh, so i have to go well okay you know that is a really good idea let me let me talk to some people and i bet we can do that because you know you don't want to step on anybody's toes or upset or just you know, have people thinking you're the pastor and you're going to do it how you want to, but I was, it was a very pleasant surprise. And really, I've been very blessed with my congregation. Everything that I've changed knowingly or unknowingly, they've been just exceedingly gracious and <laughs> just kind of gone with whatever I've, I've done. You know, be that picking hymns that they've never sung before or chanting part of the liturgy when they weren't used to it. They've been, been very gracious to me, so I'm quite thankful for that. So that's about all I've got. Uh, uh, stay away from the watermelon water. And be curious to hear what kind of uh, new change experiences that uh, Bullhagen and Berg have had. This is Baldwin signing out. What a interesting uh, discussion. I do know of a pastor who wanted to move the baptismal font, and rather than talking about it, he just moved the font two inches every Sunday. Ha! Ah. And so the only people who noticed maybe who weren't in church for a while, I suppose. Right. 
but uh, you know, although that doesn't provide a very teaching moment, right? That <laughs> you know, I I do. That's he's got a good approach. Uh, that uh, things should be done slowly. Uh, ceremonies should mean something. Um, it sounds like this woman was very well catechized, which is mm-hmm. really a, a wonderful thing. Um, but yeah, ceremonies don't have to be everywhere the same, uh, which is a really wonderful thing. And I think that's where a lot of people get bogged down, um, is where they're looking for this outward ceremony. Um, and then when it is different in a different place, then, uh, then they wonder if it's actually the same. And and that, that's really how you want changes to come. You want the teaching and the understanding of people coming to that conclusion themselves already. Like, if baptism is that important, well, why don't we place a font? Rather than, you know, although it's good for a pastor at times to force the issue and say, this is why we're doing it, but there's also something you said about people learning and understanding and thinking, oh, yeah, that is a good idea to have the teaching precede some of that, too. It is a delicate balance. Yeah, and also to know, too, that your pastor's inclinations or preferences, uh, he's not doing what he does in the church uh, based on those, or at least he shouldn't be. Everything in the church should be geared towards teaching uh, the law and the gospel. And the choices that we make, we're making uh, in order to give this righteousness of the heart, to support uh, the, the preaching and the teaching that goes on 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 a Sunday morning. Um, so, you know. Um, and I would say it's also important for pastors to realize when, especially new pastors, when they get to a congregation, that in, in a lot of ways, the people that are placed in your care are products of previous pastors. Mm-hmm. They listen to their pastor, they trust their pastor, and so that is... Why? And because pastors are different, uh, you deal with with them with understanding. Because you know, you know, I can think of how things were done many, many years ago that I would like to lead them. But it, you know, it takes time, and and uh, people are the product of what they've been hearing their whole life. Mm-hmm. And even just some of the, and that's what all this is: ceremonies and all this stuff. I mean, I don't want to disparage them. But in a lot of ways, they're just window dressing. They're not mm-hmm. actually the necessary things. And, you know, you and I are very different people. And the way in which we would conduct meetings or uh, set up our vig- visiting schedules or or do this or that, um, it's going to be very different. Right. And that's okay mm-hmm. uh, because we have uh, different skills. We have different uh, upbringings. We and, and that's all right. It doesn't – but we're united on what, what we – preach and teach. And that's that's what actually we need to be. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're very different, but we would have no qualms about when we've done this, swapping pulpits for a, right. like our Advent services or, you know, the fact that we're in a podcast together or we do many things jointly because we are united, even though we're very different. Right. Um, Vicar, what do you think about all of this? Because you're going to be stepping into this kind of a situation at some point. Terrified. Terrified. Because I know there's stuff that I'm even looking at and observing while here, and it's like, okay, that's different than I was used to. 
and knowing that at some point I'm going to walk into a church and they're going to be like, oh, well, we've always done it this way. And I've never done it that way. And just mm-hmm. just the the expectation level is is one that I'm a little apprehensive about right now. But I've got some time. You've got time. Yeah. All right. So we are going to enter the realm of mystery. Indeed. Uh, the uh, Is this the conclusion of your top 12 list? This is the conclusion. The beautiful uh, top 12 list that Berg has today uh, of the mysteries. Peter, play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Pastor Berg's Top 12. All right, so we covered a bunch of mysteries last time. Uh, and what, do you, what did you, you mean by mysteries, just to kind of re- review and recap? Mysteries are not just things that we don't understand, uh, even though in a lot of ways they are things that we don't understand, but they are, um, they are bigger than us, um, that uh, they are something to enjoy, they're something to ponder, they're something to think about, they're not a problem to be solved, um, and they're something that we we can and will spend the rest of our lives really thinking about and inwardly digesting. Um, so that that's kind of where we're at. Uh, this list was really put forward to make people slow down, uh, read, think about uh, these different things. Um, By the way, can I introduce something? I was listening to a. My wife and I were had a little bit of a drive. <clears throat> we listened to uh, um, the, uh, a Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah, did you ever listen to him? I never have. I'm kind of learning some pointers from him as I, you know, I need to start staying. If I want to be as popular as his, just, you know, that's crazy. Are you kidding me? More of that. Are you gonna start doing DMT? What, what's that? I don't know, but he does it. Oh, I doubt it. Um, I'll let uh, Baldwin do that in Wyoming first, so he can give us a report. Um, but uh, but he had someone who who actually was talking about the mysteries, and this is what he he claims. He claims that there was a secret underside of religion, and the mysteries were a reference to psychoactive drugs, and and so when people would take these psychoactive drugs a door was opened and a new realm was was entered in that they could see things and hear things and so when the bible talks about certain mysteries they're talking about um uh those things and and he even used this you talked about first corinthians chapter 11 where it talks about the lord's supper and how how the wine then was was mixed with various certain things we think they said and oh my uh, gosh. and one of the mis- mixtures was bad, and so Paul was saying, "Well, this is why many of you have died, because because they had a bad trip." Yeah, they used the wrong. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Too strong. Man, what a tool. <laughs> so yeah, that sums up. Uh, that's Joe Rogan in a yeah, yeah. That's that's not even worth <laughs> commenting on. So I just for those who do listen to that podcast, this is not what Berg is talking about. So yeah. Oh, that would be a good fundraise uh, for the podcast, right? What would Berg like look like <laughs> on mushrooms? Uh, first of all, I think that's illegal. Oh. And secondly, I think it's ungodly, but... Okay, good call. So, I digressed. Number eight. Uh, the mystery of Antichrist. 
And we can see this in 2 Thessalonians 2.7, where uh, Paul is talking about the great apostasy, and he says, The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Uh, So here Paul is talking about the mystery of lawlessness, uh, which is already occurring in Paul's own time. Uh, It is being restrained by God, but uh, soon uh, the restraint will be lifted and uh, the lawless one, the Antichrist, uh, will be uh, standing in the temple of God, uh, claiming to be God. And that's, that's the big thing. That's really the mystery here, is that this evil power, this great anti-Christian power, is found within the church. Okay, It's not Napoleon, like some people thought. It's not some great worldly political leader. Um, this, the mystery of this lawless one is that he looks like a very pious, respectable preacher. Mm-hmm. Which is why the, the Lutheran confessors were very quick to call the Pope what? The Antichrist. Because he, and not just the Pope, but the papacy. The papacy, yes. Because the papacy claimed to speak on behalf of Christ where Christ didn't actually speak. Right. And if you want to learn more about that, uh, there is the Treatise on the Power and Primacy of the Pope, which is a great exegetical um, or a breakdown of what the Bible says about uh, the Antichrist. Um, if you want more information, send it in, and we can actually... I'll actually go through it. I've, uh, I have a few studies kind of written up uh, going through uh, point by point on why uh, the Lutheran confessors were right in and, saying that the papacy is the Antichrist. And another aspect that uh, that passage brought out is the fact that um, the fruit of a false gospel is lawlessness. Yes. Um, you see this a lot uh, in uh, when Paul instructs Timothy, for example— uh, and he's dealing with uh, what was entrusted to him. And he goes on to explain how there is a lawless aspect to what is was being taught. And um, there, when you don't have the gospel, it ultimately leads to lawlessness. Now, uh, Jesus put it this way, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. To fulfill it. Because the law is... Even though it condemns us, the law is nonetheless good. Mm -hmm. Number seven. Number seven is the mystery of the seven stars. And this is found in Revelation 1, uh, verse 20, where uh, uh, the Apostle John has had a vision about our Lord standing with seven stars in his hand. And um, and standing among seven golden lampstands, this should actually uh, bring us back to uh, the Old Testament, uh, because there was the great lampstand, the golden lampstand in the tabernacle, uh, which needed to be trimmed and uh, and burnt with light uh, throughout the throughout the day. That's actually where we get the the the, uh, the festival of Hanukkah from, uh, because of the miracle of the burning light. Uh, but here is what this mystery means. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. 
So this is actually a, a beautiful, beautiful picture of uh, what these angels, um, and that word angel uh, doesn't mean some spiritual being, uh, not always, but it is also ascribed to human messengers. The word angel means messenger. We just already talked about St. Luke, commemoration of St. Luke, the holy evangelist. Right. Using the same wording. Mm-hmm. And this actually points us back to Daniel chapter 12, where it says that those who instruct others in righteousness are like the stars in the firmament of heaven, right? Um, that this is what pastors do. Pastors are there uh, to instruct people in righteousness and to turn them from sin uh, and death to uh, righteousness and to God. Uh, this is why they are stars. Um, this is the glory that God promises to those who preach and teach the gospel faithfully. And what's interesting about stars is is this, is you think about the stars that, uh, well, you referenced Revelation, you know, St. John looked at when he was on the island of Patmos, right? Those are the same stars we look at. Mm -hmm. Those are the same stars that for many years were used to guide people so they knew where they were because they never changed. And as pastors, we don't, we're not given to uh, teaching that, that changes, we are given, we are entrusted as or stewards of what God has already given, which right. is much different. Mm-hmm. And then what we see too, the seven lampstands, the seven golden lampstands are the seven churches, the seven congregations. That this, the, the seven golden lampstands show how beautiful the congregation is, that it is uh, because of Christ's death, they have been purified. They have been made out of pure gold. Um, they are beautiful in the sight of God, uh, precious. And not only that, what does a lampstand do? It gives light. Mm-hmm. This should remind us then of uh, not only the light that the la- that the lampstand gave in the tabernacle, but also uh, when Jesus says that, uh, you know, your favorite hymn, hide it under a bushel. No. no. I'm going to let it shine, right? This is what it means to be a light, uh, a city on a hill that no one can hide. This is what it, this is what it means to be and, and, a lamp burning in the darkness. And, and this is what the congregation is. And this is what our people confess every time they come to church. Just by having their their uh, their cars out in the parking lot, they're, they're actually confessing something to the world. And when when John wrote those words, you know, that was you read words that were towards the beginning of Revelation. He then also goes on to tell them what? <laughs> you're you're the seven lampstands. But some things need to be addressed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're not perfect by any means. In fact, I think there's only one church, the Church of Philadelphia, for whom God only ha- for whom Jesus only has praise. The rest, it's like you know, things are okay, but mm-hmm. here are some things you got to work on, and that's true of every congregation. Uh, that's why having the uh, behind the collar is a very good thing uh, for a new pastor. Um, because there, we will never be out of jobs this side of heaven. Moving on. Number six. The mystery of the whore of Babylon. In seventeen, in Revelation seventeen five and seventeen eighteen. Uh, seventeen five is, and on her forehead a name was written. Mystery, Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots, and the abominations of the earth. 
Uh, going on to verse 6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, and when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. And then uh, going on to 18, um, and the woman you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So uh, in this time, I mean, when John is writing this gospel, uh, the great city that was ruling over the earth was Rome. Um, Rome was uh, the place of a lot of destruction of Christians. Uh, they were dipped in oil and burned alive. Uh, they were thrown to the lions. Uh, Rome, with all of its idols, uh, was a great anti-Christian power uh, to, uh, to the Christian church. And then, now, Rome is still that great city mm-hmm. because now it is the seat of the Antichrist, who is the Pope. So, as much there we as go. Things change; they stay the same. Indeed, uh, same song, second verse, right? And it describes the, uh, the the whole thing as being. It's interesting, drunk off the blood of the martyrs, but there's still something. Kind of, you get the sense there's still something he can't take his eyes off of it in a in a weird way. Yeah. Which shows that, uh, you know, that uh, there's something aesthetically pleasing to sin that we like. Mm-hmm. And to the power... That entices us in. Yeah. Number five. The mystery of the Gentiles. And here we see this in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. Uh, How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of of his power. Uh, number five is the mystery of the Gentiles, that the Gentiles are included in God's kingdom uh, on the same level as, uh, as the Jews, which is uh, remarkable. Um, this was not made known in other ages. I mean, it was, but it was on the lowdown, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Naaman, for example, you can think of, uh, mm-hmm. the Syrian general who had leprosy, and he is incorporated into the church. Uh, apart from circumcision. Um, we also see this with um, oh, uh, uh, the Queen of Sheba, for example, mm-hmm. would be another one. But otherwise, I mean, when you go through the Old Testament, there aren't a lot of cases where the Gentiles are brought in. There's a lot of prophecy about how the nations will be brought in. but uh, There's a lot of explanation of the Gentiles and what they did and how they scattered. Right. Uh, but it's only in the New Testament that we see that uh, this promise, that they are now united with the Jews uh, in one body. They are not uh, kept away from the tabernacle. They're not, uh, they don't have to be circumcised in order to become Jews uh, first. Um, and this is what the whole book of Galatians is about, too. So, And in the fact that it's a prophecy as well. And what I mean by that is this. Um, what did... Uh, what did the angel of the Lord say to Abraham after the sacrifice uh, 
that was stopped of Isaac, mm-hmm. um, through your offspring, all nations will be sh- blessed. Will be blessed. So right. it wasn't as though it wasn't there in the Old Testament. It certainly was there all over the Old Testament, but it's it's, but it's actual hidden. fulfillment of it. It's it's hidden. It's kind of under the radar. Mm-hmm. And I, so sometimes when I'm doing adult catechesis, for example, and I'm going through certain things in Scripture to show that how Scripture holds together, I'll, I'll point to the, the sacrifice of Isaac and how God promises all nations will be blessed, and then I, I kind of skip ahead to what Jesus says in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, how Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Which, and this is what the book of Acts is really about. Mm-hmm. Uh, the and what a struggle it was, even with all these promises. What a struggle it was uh, for the Jews of that day to wrap their minds around. And these were Jewish believers. Mm-hmm. Um, so number four, number four, the mystery of Christ. Uh, Colossians one twenty four through twenty nine. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So the mystery here is Christ in you. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, you see intimations of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see uh, prophecies of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, once again, the first covenant is inadequate. Uh, there are two rooms. There's the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. Um, and they're separate. Mm-hmm. And there's a curtain between them. There, there are uh, the way of access to God is not completely undone yet, and it's not until Christ dies that the temple curtain is torn in two. And this is, uh, and this is what is offered by the preaching of the gospel, right? Christ uh, in you and for you, and Christ can only be in you if He's for you mm-hmm. in the forgiveness of sins. So, all right. And numbers three, two, and one. Number number three, two. Number one. The Holy Mystery of the Trinity. Okay. So, top 12. And I, I like how you do that because um, the, the top three are the Trinity because I if I asked you to rank those... <laughs> <laughs> You'd be in doctrinal error. That is true. <laughs> Subordinationism is not cool, yo. <laughs> All right. Confound the clerics. We looked through the LCMS subreddit again, r slash LCMS, and uh, I got a question from Camp Tikihama. Uh, says, who should baptize? Hello, I am a DCE, and I am at camp with some youth and their parents. After a long conversation uh, with a parent, she expressed a desire to be baptized. The question is two parts. One, should it be done now while we are still at camp? And two, she has expressed desire for me to be the one to do it, even if it is done back home at a later date. 
I know that anyone can baptize, specifically in emergencies, but is there any problem with me doing that, even if there is a viable pastor? Okay. All right, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, first off, uh, th- this comes to uh, one of the interesting things about baptism is this. Is baptism, you're baptized not only into Christ, but you're baptized into the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Uh, are you then, after baptize, baptizing them, they're going to be a baptized member of where? Would be the first question. Mm-hmm. Um, two, the next point I would make here with this question is, it doesn't sound like it's an emergency baptism. Yeah. We, we talk about emergency baptisms for, for children, for infants. But or if she was on the brink of death... Or something along those lines. That would that would be an emergency. But for an adult, um, teaching the catechism or God's word comes first, and then baptism, because mm-hmm. someone who's learning the faith can have faith and desires to be baptized. And we don't know what your long conversation was like, so we really can't, uh, you know, put a put any stipulations on it. But we would just want that person to be. Uh, well catechized before being baptized. Um, and the other thing that I think uh, there's a part of uh, the faith that is not very well developed here for her is um, um, this distinction between person and office. She wants you to baptize her uh, because of this relationship you guys have. Um, Paul and, deals with this. And, yeah, he does. Um and yeah, do you want to look that up in First Corinthians? Vicar's got Vicar. it. Um, and while we are very happy uh, to have these relationships in the church, um, we're glad that she trusts you a lot. Um, there is a distinction between the person and the office, mm-hmm. um, and the pastor bears that office for a particular reason because it's not the pastor who baptizes. It's God who baptizes, mm-hmm. uh, and he's put the pastor there to do that. Um, so that way, I mean, if you guys had a falling out, I mean, this is the thing. It, it's putting too much on your relationship and on, on your person, and I think this is always an issue, uh, especially when even pastors bring new people to the faith, um, where it uh, oftentimes it's built on personalities or on relationships, and then when those end— um, it can really shake the foundations of their faith. And so you would want the person who was baptizing this person to be someone who has taken an oath for the care of that soul. Yeah, who's been put in that place by God to do those things, to baptize and to teach. Uh, So ways that sometimes this happens is, well, people might say, well, um, for example— um, well, my husband and I are arguing about baptism, so I just went ahead and baptized my child in the bathtub. You know, yeah, it's it's a valid baptism. It's just, it's very. I mean, where are the witnesses? That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, where was the emergency? Um, like God has set up; He's instituted the office of the ministry for this purpose. And another aspect, I think, about this is, and I think something that uh, church and church camps have dealt with a lot, is this. A camp is not a church. 
meaning the uh, camp is there to serve the church. It's it's there to serve the members. It's supposed to aim people to a place where there is a pastor, but itself, the camp itself, isn't a church. Am I wrong here, Berg? No, I. You're not wrong. I uh, I've been reading a lot of the protestants lately. So, oh. uh, but I, <laughs> I've. I don't know. I, I I like the freedom of every time we're speaking uh, God's word to one another, mm-hmm. uh, where the two or three are gathered. Uh, there I am in their midst. I do I do get what you're saying. Is that this you know this woman? We want to make sure that she is grafted in and incorporated into a congregation. Mm-hmm. But also in the Book of Acts, I mean, you see the Ethi- the Ethiopian eunuch too. That's true. You know, um, and then we never hear what happens to him again. So. I don't know. I don't want to be. I don't want to be a legalist about it either. I think the freedom is is that the church is based on the gospel, and uh, where there is a preacher and hearers, mm-hmm. um, because like every according to the priesthood of all believers, every every layman uh, actually uh, has a general call to speak the gospel, right? To mm-hmm. proclaim the excellencies of Him called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. So I have a question here, Burke. What mm-hmm. if what if then at the camp then they were not only baptized but also having the Lord's Supper? Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely problems with it. I think uh I think uh it's you know, where is the if if you were there uh examining the people, mm-hmm. um you know, I or if there was some you know, this is—I mean, this is where it gets tricky, right? I—I I don't want to, um, I don't want to restrict the freedom that the Holy Spirit has given us, uh, simply because the camp doesn't have a constitution or a mm-hmm. membership list. Um, I, wherever well, what the about God, a pastor, this is the thing. If there is a pastor there, right? Um, and but th- it even goes beyond that, right? Because if you had a group of people, uh, who go, uh. You know, let's say they're uh, they're shipped off to Siberia, right? Mm-hmm. And their pastor's been killed. Um, that congregation is actually has the right to call a new pastor from among their ranks, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because that's, I mean, that's that's one of the things that we do, right? Every congregation in that regard has not only the right but also the duty. Uh, to proclaim the gospel, to baptize, to administer the sacraments. And the way that they do that for the public performance of this is through a called pastor. The way that uh, this happens, then I get to rub it in Vicar's face, is Sunday I get to baptize uh, an infant infant boy, Jack, and and I always rub that in the Vicar's nose that I get to baptize someone. Mm -hmm. You don't, ha ha. Uh. Right, because God has set you in that place, right? Right. And I, I, I just don't want us to get so bogged down in the external stuff um, that just because we don't have a church constitution or a church building or that that church isn't actually going on, because the church is created by the preaching of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments. Um, and I think that is something—that is, that is such a comforting thing, that when we get together for Winkles, we talk about God's Word— Mm-hmm. It, that's the church. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a community of faith for faith, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's great because, like, this can happen in a house. 
This happens when parents are teaching their children, when they are actually their children's, as Luther calls them, the bishops and the bishopesses of their children, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the thing, is that there's... But there's this, but there's also a certain a degree of order. Right, and that's the big thing, is that uh, For example, in order to get all of these things... Uh, yeah, I mean, we don't want everybody just doing their own thing, right? Because right. that's not conducive to the church. And then how then, for example, the other parts of what a church does, would you carry out, for example, excommunication? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, especially with, like, house churches and stuff, mm-hmm. um, there was a way to do it. I mean, uh, Third John is all about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, and when... when uh, Paul is writing to the Corinthian congregation, he's writing to a number of house churches more than likely, right? Right. So, um, but, but as far as the, the, the question here um, about any problem with me doing that, even if there is a, a, so yes, a viable past. There is a problem in that uh, God hasn't given, that, given you to do that. Um, and for the certainty of the baptism, uh, for the certainty of... of uh, we, uh, we keep records of that? We keep records so of because it. Because a lot of times when people aren't baptized or are baptized young, they're not going to remember it if they're a baby, so we keep... Right. Uh, and the other thing, I guess, um, one, what, one way that you could help her get over this is uh, say that you'll be a sponsor for her or a godparent, mm-hmm. and that you'll pray for her, you'll uh, encourage her in studying the small catechism, um, and when you get to that point for the Lord's Supper, that... Uh, you know, um, but you, you don't want a, a, like a Billy Graham situation where, you know, so and so was saved, and then they go off and are left to fend for themselves. Right. You. This is why it's always the church, and this is where garlic. This is why we've done so much garlic on here from Paul Hensel is because the church is both individual and it's corporate, and we are we are still individuals, but we're grafted into this one plant. We're fed by a one common root. And American, and once again, this goes back to our uh, our whole thing about reading, right? Mm-hmm. Reading a book, uh, it really puts us into that individualistic mindset. Well, it's just me and Jesus. No, it's not just you and Jesus, because Jesus actually grafts you into the body. And so, so you you would want for the care of this person to for them to be able to have the same relationship that they have with you, with a local congregation. Yes. And you might not have that, but the whole point is is that this is where the church is, that it can't—if you base your baptism on feelings, if you base it on a person, well, that person is going to fail you. We referenced a, a passage, we never got to it. It's about uh, Paul dealing with who should baptize. I think I, I, think I found the right—we're talking 1 Corinthians 3, where he's— Sounds about I, right. I watered, yeah. So the— the question of, you know, who is, you know, being followed. I might just start with verse 2. Uh, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready yet, for you are still of one flesh. For a while there is jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh um, of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Right. And then we go back to um, 
First Corinthians chapter one, uh, verse twelve. Um, now I say this that each of you says, "I am of Paul," or "I am of Apollos," or "I am of Cephas," or "I am of, of Christ." Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. So that's, Paul, Paul is saying that uh, there are times where he's glad he didn't baptize because he didn't want confusion to say, well, I was baptized by so-and-so, or I was baptized. The more, most important thing is what Christ does. Right, and that all of these men are in an office, Apollos, Cephas, Paul, in order to serve and water and plant and to grow the church. So, so in summary, basically, it's like fighting a fire, right? In an emergency, you can try and help, but really leave it to the professionals. <laughs> Good work. <laughs> all right. All right, that's enough for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. I am Bullhagen. I'm Berg. And I'm Vicar. And may your forest fires be dealt with by professionals. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter, at P for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.